Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young business leaders, welcome to the YBT Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Yutaki, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 107. Today uh, is uh, an exciting day for me because I get to have... Uh, a mentor in my life, uh, a guy who actually uh, I've followed along in his career, probably from the, not necessarily from the very beginning, but uh, probably from the early inception of when he started his leadership journey. And so we're going to talk about some topics that uh, that I hopefully will be interesting to you, but also are very interesting to me. And from a leadership standpoint, are something that uh, I think we always need to be reminded of uh, as we're uh, progressing in our leadership journey. We always want to identify things that we can do to be better leaders, to be better in the home, to be better fathers, to be better uh, friends, uh, just a full array of self-development that we can do as we're kind of going through this. Uh, so I want to introduce today my guest, Whit George. Whit has served at Church on the Move for over 20 years in various positions, currently as lead pastor overseeing all areas of ministry and day-to-day operations for the church. For 10 years, he has led Church on the Move's arts team and is widely respected in the church world for his innovative thinking and the unique service experiences he has helped create. After leading Church on the Move through a major transition in the way we worship, Witt founded the Seeds Church resource site along with the Seeds Conference, which hosts 2,500 church leaders from all over the world, refreshing and empowering them with tools for more effective, dynamic ministry. Witt, welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, say hello to the audience and obviously tell them a little bit more about yourself because I know that that didn't quite <laughs> cover all of it. <laughs> sure. Hey, what's up, everybody? Glad to be here. Honored to be here with you, Evan, and just talking uh, leadership. Yeah, I mean, uh, I started working at a, at a high school for my dad because uh, I didn't really know what else to do. Um, School didn't really agree with me all that well. And so uh, my dad, who'd founded our church 31 years ago, um, said, hey, you know, you can come lay sod for me for minimum wage. So I, mm-hmm. I, I had to jump at that chance. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but just kind of one thing led to another. And so, you know, most of my leader leadership experience is based on what I've learned myself or, you know, through trial and error in the workplace or in leading different uh, aspects of the church. When you start at the bottom, the great thing is you get to do just about a little bit of everything. And so I have a pretty good perspective on kind of what our church is, how it works, and uh, just kind of over many, many years worked my way through uh, different, you know, leadership posts, did graphic design, led some music ministry stuff we did, uh, led our whole arts team for a while, which is pretty extensive and and did a lot of... uh, resourcing of, you know, church leaders um, around the world, really. And so uh, about a year and a half ago, stepped into being the lead pastor of our church, which I think, uh, just side note, is probably my dad's greatest leadership accomplishment. 
is being willing to kind of step aside when he felt like the time was right and not to retire, still had a lot of energy left, but just like seeing that, man, I'm not the guy to lead the church into the future. That's a hard thing to do as a leader to admit it's not me. And uh, when you've been very successful and built a lot, so I really admire him for doing that. But uh, anyway, that's kind of where I find myself today is about a year and a half into being the lead pastor of the church and overseeing a lot uh, uh, a lot more than what I have in the past. And uh, it's been eye-opening to say the least. <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to believe that it's only been a year and a half, but I, I think it's really cool to kind of think about just how much has changed uh, in this transition and really kind of thinking from the, the very beginning to now, the perspective that you have from laying sod, which by the way, yeah. I laid some thought about <laughs> about three weeks ago. Yeah. And, uh, it's one thing to just say lay sod, but when you actually do it, man, I lay and sod, man, that is by far um, not one of the things that I think of when I think of leadership, but it gives you perspective in terms of maybe some of the people that you're leading, but then also you kind of think of that, uh, that path that you've taken to get to the role that you're in today. I mean, uh, having a mentor like your dad that's been able to kind of walk you through everything uh, accelerates that that process uh, a lot, but it doesn't give you necessarily all the tools. There's, there's definitely things within yourself uh, that you need to be developing, that you need to be driving uh, to prepare yourself to be the leader that you are today. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that because I know everything that we're talking about today is, is stuff that you're going through and have been probably going through for the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think maybe the, maybe the biggest part of that journey is coming to terms with who you are and who you aren't, and recognizing what you can and can't do. I think, you know, uh, the American dream is, uh, you know, to be successful at everything that you do and, and to do it as early as possible and, you know, be a success as just as young as you can be. The, the, the trouble is you, you end up watching someone else's journey and you try to emulate what they do or live life like they have. And you recognize, I don't have the same skill set that they have. I don't have the same pattern of leadership that they have. And so for me, one of the things is I think if you're going to grow as a leader, you have to kind of have an honest assessment of strengths, weaknesses, what you're good at. I like the way Andy Stanley says it. And he's a, a fellow pastor. He's in Atlanta. But one of the things that he challenges pastors and leaders to do regularly that has been a huge thing for me to figure out is learning to do what only you can do, which is, is really about finding out what your sweet spot is, what your gifts are and what they're not, and having an honest appraisal of, of, of who you are and in the kind of the fullness of, the, of who that is or who you are. And, and then applying that to the way that you work and kind of getting out of other people's way. I think, you know, if you look at Oh, just the different leaders that you work for over the years. A lot of times the reasons that you're frustrated with them is that they end up, you know, getting in your way. They, they almost become a lid to you. Uh, they become an impediment to organizations. That's one of the things that I have tried to in the different roles that I'm in, and I've not been very successful at it every step of the way, but tried to ask myself, am I the lid? And am I the reason why, you know, everything around me isn't, you know, taking off and growing? And, what do I need to do to get out of the way so that that can happen? And what do I need to do so that it can happen? But I think that starts with, you know, having having self-awareness about who you are and what you're good and good not good at. 
Well, I love how you're uh, posing that question because uh, for me in my journey, that was definitely a struggle because uh, a large part of me wanted to be the guy, the guy in yeah. charge that had all the answers. And so it was really hard for me to step aside and, and ask that question, am I that lid? Because um, it took a part of me away that I thought was important to myself, but in wow. reality, I was that lid. And when I was able to step away and empower those other people to, to be in their sweet spot, like you said, uh, I actually saw growth again, but it's, it, you can be that lid for a little while. Like you can take it to that point, but you also need to be self-aware, like you said, to know that there's only so far that you can take it. And then it's time to pass it along to that next person to carry the torch to that next uh, destination. That's right. Absolutely. Well, uh, you, you mentioned self-awareness, and I think that self-awareness is, 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 is key here as a leader because when we're walking through leadership, um, I think that there's things that are going to happen in our journey um, that uh, we're going to start responding a certain way. We're going to start doing things a certain way. And so I believe that ties into self-awareness, but I'd like to kind of get your definition of what we're talking about. Yeah, you know, I, Evan, I like uh, Richard Davis's uh, definition of self-awareness, which is in a book he had called The Intangibles of Leadership. Uh, he says, I define self-insight or self-awareness as perspective on oneself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses, uh, understanding your hot buttons and blind spots, recognizing your impact on others, and getting at what motivates and drives you and seeing how your life experiences have impacted who you are today. So I, I think it's several things self-awareness is. It's it's strengths and weaknesses. You know, I'm good at this. I'm not good at that. But it's more than just strengths and weaknesses. I think we have to also understand blind spots, things that we have no idea are causing problems. Uh, I think we need to know kind of triggers, what triggers us. Uh, I think we have to understand our past because your past is a huge motivator for why you do things the way that you are today. I, I'll give you an example of this. My wife and I, when we first got married and been married 19 years now. But um, when we first got married, we fought a lot. And one of the places that we fought a lot at was at the drive through window, believe it or not, <laughs> because we had differing philosophies of how the drive through should work. Now, here, here's what's interesting is these were shaped by our family and also shaped by our personality. So my philosophy of the drive through is you look at the menu only the first time you go to that drive through Once you've established what you're going to get there, you just keep getting the same thing over and over again. I, I'm not pulling up to the drive through to look, scan everything over, see what I might want, what I might not want. I'm not looking for options. I went to that restaurant because I wanted one thing. I always <laughs> get the same thing. And my wife is completely different. Her perspective is, you know, we're here, there's a menu, we might as well explore it. Let's ask him what's in the sauce. I mean, she's <laughs> having me ask questions that I was so uncomfortable asking. And it led to all kinds of fights. And I didn't really understand it at the time. It took me years to figure out, wait a minute, I'm carrying into this really simple interaction, but I'm carrying into it um, my family history, the way we did it. Mm. And, and, and that's a, you know, a marriage example. But I, I think that we tend to see the world through the lens of our past experiences and also our family cultures that have shaped us in profound ways. And I think that has a big impact on the way that we lead. It has an impact on whether or not we think people are 
doing their job correctly or not, or whether we respect someone's kind or style of leadership, because maybe the, the kind of leadership that we experience or what we think of as strength looks completely different than the way someone else does it. And we don't even understand what they're doing or why they would do it that way. And so kind of having a handle on your past, I think, has a huge impact on you being aware of, uh, of who you are. And then lastly, I think understanding your motives. You know, why do I want to be successful? Uh, like you said a minute ago, why do I want to be in charge? I think you said something really profound that needs to be kind of thought through for many leaders is we sometimes are unwilling to give up control because that control is more about us feeling like we're valuable than it really is about getting the job done right. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that so many of the decisions that we make are motivated by some pretty deep values that we hold that, um, that until we kind of understand them, we might be at odds with, I, I, I give you a, a case of point between me and my dad. All right. So my dad is um, baby boomer generation. And I think it's something about, it's kind of generational. I don't know. But one thing that he holds as a deep value is like he has some kind of what I might just call like hidden cornerstones in his life that are like deep beliefs about the way that the world works. The best way I could describe this is over the years, I mean, we've had so many conversations with him. And at times where he finds himself frustrated with people, and maybe by the way they're treating him, uh, maybe by an interaction that he's had with a restaurant or maybe you know some other business or whatever, he'll say things like, Wit, you just don't do that. You just <laughs> don't. And, I, and I often wonder to myself, do they know that that's one of the things that you just don't do? Or is this like an invisible list that you have? So he has like some, <laughs> some sort of invisible values that he hasn't really ever written down. But I think that it might be handy for the rest of the world if you did so that we could, you know, not, not mess those up. Now, here's what's funny is I live my life believing. In fact, one of my core values, personal core values is open mindedness. Mm. I, I believe that almost nothing is sacred. And that we really ought to be able to explore just about any idea and ask questions about it. For my dad, like that is so counter to the way that he thinks. <laughs> and if you don't understand where someone is coming from, mm. you might think they're just being hard-headed, or if you don't, or or if they don't understand where you're coming from. So, for instance, this is like a huge conflict between me and my dad, where he has felt over time at times that I'm just being disrespectful to the way that he thinks, but I, I'm not intending to be. It's value on exploration, on under, uh, trying to poke holes in why we think that way, challenging it. I don't know if that's true. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. And I'm comfortable with the ambiguity. He doesn't like ambiguity. He wants it to be locked down. We're certain. And that's just a small example of knowing kind of what motivates and drives you. Because if you don't know that, you're going to end up in conflict with people that you never intended to be in. There's so much to unpack there. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm I'm on your side on the drive through drive through thing. Okay, good. Uh, That's the right side. I'm not. And it, but here, so here's the interesting thing about that. Yeah. My family, they would go and and I would be riding in the back. I would know what I want, and then I would sit there and watch the rest of my family ask my dad questions. Oh, uh, wow. And I'm just like, let's let's. And so he's the one that has to ask, like. You know, does does well, how many fries are in a, in a medium fry? Oh or wow! Is there is there is there an actual <laughs> yeah. difference between the two? And yeah. does does the ranch sauce have 
Is it a powdered wow. ranch? <clears throat> so I saw that and that I was like, never, crazy. never again, never again. Yeah, like yeah. we're going to, as we're driving up, there's two, there's two menus. The first yeah. one is for you to explore what you would like, yes, but you yes. got to have that decision figured out by then. Otherwise I will pull the car out of the drive right. and uh, it will circle back around and, uh, and, and we'll do well, it see, that that's way. Why, that's why you're doing a leadership podcast today. <laughs> that's probably far more relational. <laughs> uh, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I, I had to, I had to throw that in there, but, but going okay. back to, uh, uh, what you're talking about, uh, and, and you said a little bit earlier, even some of the things that your dad would say, and you kind of clash with it, I liken it to the triggers that you mentioned, because you start feeling this thing welling up inside of you. And, and I think right. that's probably the, the key to tuning into this is leaning into those triggers, because when you feel that that statement of you just don't do that coming, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, and, and, and for me, like my chest tightens up and, and I can just feel emote, like my, my body temperature rising a little bit, whether good or bad, but I'm being triggered for something. And that's an opportunity for you to ask, ask the question, why am I triggered for that? What's causing this? And you're talking a little bit about your, your history and, and how all those things come in. But I think the question to ha to ask after that, and I want to get your thoughts on this is first of all, why am I triggered? And the right. second question is, what's the other side of it? Because mm -hmm. when you look at the other side of it, that's that open-mindedness that you're talking about. That may actually bring right. you to a point where you actually change, potentially change your stance on something. Right. It's exactly right. And I, and I think that's really what we're talking about is empathy and learning to empathize with other people. And I mm. got to put myself on maybe the lowest rung of the empathy ladder that <laughs> I mean, I'm horrible at empathy, uh, have been traditionally in my life, having to really kind of process and work at that. All right, so this is where I'm going to get a little spiritual because I'm a pastor and I can't help but think that these issues are spiritual and that I believe that our desires and what's underneath of a lot of this, these desires are motivated in a, they're, 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 they're part of a bigger picture of what we believe about life or how we believe life should work. And so when you're, you know, when you find yourself feeling those triggers, I'll give, I'll give you a case in point between my wife and I, we, we did something, this is getting really personal, but I'll just speak <laughs> about myself for a minute. And, and I, since I, I won't talk about her side of it, we, we're, we're seeing, we're, just because we want to be as healthy as we possibly can be, there's a guy um, that I'm connected to who's a counselor and we want to go see him just to be, just to be as healthy as we can be mm -hmm. as leaders. And so uh, we're, we're seeing this counselor and we're talking about something that was fascinating called your pain cycle. And the way the pain cycle works is you ask yourself, when you feel pain, let's just talk specifically marriage, but I think this could go to, uh, for me, it applies way outside the boundaries of marriage. But marriage, I think, presents often the most opportunities for conflict. So we'll just start there. When you're feeling conflict, he's saying, what are the emotions that you feel? And there's a list of emotions that you're feeling. And for me, uh, in fact, I happen to have this here on my desk. I'll just read my feelings of pain are powerless, uh -huh. out of control, vulnerable, and I feel like I'm a failure. And, and so what does that lead to? So you have your feelings and then you deal with this other box here where you're talking about, okay, how do you cope with that? So the way that I cope with feeling powerless, out of control, vulnerable, and, and feeling like a failure is I blame other people. I get sarcastic. I am retaliatory, mm -hmm. I fault find, and I seek to be perfectionistic. Now, here's what's fascinating about that is if you look at my coping mechanisms, they feed directly into my wife's 
feelings. They feed the negative feelings. And I'm not going to go into those because they're personal or hurt. I don't want to share them here, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> Good I'll call. talk about mine. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is it feeds the <clears throat> negative feelings that she has and round and round and her coping, her coping mechanisms feed my feelings of powerlessness, out of control, vulnerability, and failure. So it, round and round we go in this whole, uh, this whole kind of circle of pain. And so for me understanding, okay, what is it that I'm looking for out of this? I want to feel like I'm in control. I want to feel mm. like I'm powerful. I want to feel, and so for me, from a spiritual place, I have to ask myself, okay, so what is that, what, how does that inform my relationship with God? Because if, if there is a God, and if I believe in God, and if I believe specifically in, in, in the God of the Bible, in Jesus, then I'm not all powerful. And I never will be. <laughs> and, 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 and yet me being a failure isn't a prerequisite or me being a success isn't a prerequisite to God's love for me. Therefore, I can let some of these feelings of inadequacy and failure or being powerless or out of control, I can let a lot of that go. But it's, it's learning to do the slow and tedious work of connecting your head to your heart. Now, it, it, you know, if you're not a Christ follower or whatever, I mean, and you gotta, you're going to have to find a different set of resources. And I would say good luck to you there. I don't know what those would be. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I'm just speaking from my perspective. Like I said, I'm a pastor, so I'm going to go there. And, yeah, absolutely. And that's what that's what I feel like, you know, uh, that's what I feel like we have to do is I think those opportunities and those friction points are opportunities to one, identify what's driving those emotions and then figure out how to process through them and say, God, what is this showing me about me? What does this show me about the way that I think about you? Because we say that, you know, <laughs> God is in control. We say that our lives are given over to God, but we're living like we have to have everything all together for it to work out. Mm -hmm. I have to be, I have to have every box checked. And I think this is why as a culture, we're overworked, we're burnt out, we're tired, we don't know how to rest, we don't know how to be, we just know how to do. In fact, it's one of the first questions that we, hey, what do you do when yeah. you meet somebody? We don't, we don't, we, we only know each other on the basis of what we do. And we are so much more than what we do but if you continually define yourself by what you do, you know, if what you do gets taken away from you, then who are you? What's left of you? Mm -hmm. you? You know, you think about whenever the stock markets crash, often what you'll see right after that is a rash of suicides. Why? Because our identity is taken away. It's not just the money. It's that I don't have value. I have nothing left because everything I had was put into this and it's gone mm. and I'm done. There's no reason to live anymore. There's a lot there. And I, and I, I, I want to try to encapsulate some of this because these are a lot of yeah. themes that we, that we've talked yeah. about in, in this podcast. When you were reading off your, your coping mechanisms and all that stuff, right, right. Um, I'm, you, you checked all my boxes. So, okay. so okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the camp with you. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to I'm going to say some stuff here, and this is these are things that I've had to go through uh, right. because I've had similar situations happen where uh, a, approach the level of leadership, fought there to get there, mm. and then it got, got taken away. Then I had to ask the question, <clears throat> "Who am I?" Wow. And so there was that. There was a lot of things going on there, and I think the difference for me, or, or something that helped me, was to realize the power of relationship mm. in all of this. Because relationship is one of the things that you need most, 
mm-hmm. your coping mechanisms actually yeah. push people away from you That's right. to, the, to the extent where they would no longer ask you how you're doing mm-hmm. because they just assumed everything was great and you never let them in. Uh, empathy mm-hmm. is, an, is another thing that I, that I, I absolutely struggle with. And what I realized was empathy is one of the key ingredients to relationship. Yeah. And if I don't have a good, uh, if I don't try to exercise empathy, then I'm going to find myself alone. Um, I would always, I prided myself on saying that sarcasm is my superpower. Right. Wow. I could always cut through directly to people, but it was because I was hurting. It wasn't yeah. necessarily because I was good at sarcasm as right. I was hurting so much that I actually take that and use that against somebody else. And all that was doing, all that coping that I was doing, because I didn't know who I was. I didn't have that confidence in myself. And if that identity was taken away and people found out who I, who I really was or who I thought I was, right? then I was, I was, again, I was alone and I didn't have those things. And so one of the reasons that, that I have this podcast is, is to kind of reach out to that younger generation of leaders and say, right. when you get to that role of leadership, Look for opportunities to build relationships. Look at things like stewardship as opposed to being the guy that does it. Because when you're yeah. a steward, you're, you're taking and you're managing something on somebody else's behalf. You don't have a, as much control as you think you actually do. Right. There's peace in that. And when you can find that peace and you can find that contentment uh, where you're, uh, you have those relationships, you have those team of, uh, of people around you, you have mentors that are speaking into your life and, and hopefully you get to the point where you're able to speak into other people's lives. I feel like that's what true success looks like. That's where true leadership looks like. Uh, we, we talk a lot about, a lot about uh, servant leadership. To be a servant leader, you cannot have pride. You, they don't exist on the same right. Plain. And so you have to really look at those things. And when we're talking about self-awareness, the first step in all of this is identifying what's driving who I am mm-hmm. and ask those questions why. Because what you may find is you may find yourself in a situation like mine that I almost had to restart figuring out who I was in that beginning. Um, but the good news is as I was doing that and as I was realizing, those things became more valuable to me. And when right. they became more me, I became a better leader. I began, I, I, I started seeking out good quality friends. I started seeking out people who uh, were empathetic so that I could learn how to be empathetic. I, I wow. stink at it, but yeah. I, had, I had to sit there and watch and realize what happened. And what I found was some of the people that I was around that I knew were empathetic, they had so much uh, trust with the the people that they were friends with and, and they had so much influence in their mm. life. And it was, it was so weird to me to think that for 25 years I had completely not used empathy at all. And I saw what the result was. And wow. now trying to incorporate that in the things that I'm doing uh, has really helped me look at things a little bit different, uh, identify things that may be causing me to be angry and, and start mm-hmm. to look on the other side and say, well, maybe Maybe I, I need to look at it from their perspective. And that's where that empathy kicks in. And as you were saying that, I was actually thinking, I, I don't know your wife that well, but right. I, I, I hear her up on this stage speaking. And sure. I, I think she's probably one of the most empathetic people yeah. I've ever met. Yeah. So I think it's awesome that you have somebody to balance you out through all of this. But man, just everything that we're talking about right here is so key to uh, developing yourself, not just as a leader, but as a person so that you can have those good quality relationships. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna make a difference with your wife, with your kids, with everybody. Yeah, we're we're looking at successful people, and we're identifying them as um, like what we want to aspire to be. And sometimes those people, they, they just haven't gotten to that point yet where they haven't realized that their identity is not the thing that they're striving towards. So we get this false sense of reality of what we're striving to. Uh, and then yeah. there's in some cases, the imposter syndrome will kick in where we're like, well, obviously they can do it, but I can't do it. Right. And I think that's, it's again, important to, to kind of um, talk about what Andy Stanley talked about. Do, yeah. um, do what only you can do. Yeah, do what only you can do because you can be the best version of yourself. Elvis Presley, uh, and I've said this before, Elvis Presley is the greatest Elvis Presley there ever was. There's a ton of impersonators, but they can only go until Fat Elvis, where he ate the banana, <laughs> yeah. the peanut butter. They, they got to stop there. The only person that can progress Elvis is Elvis himself. Right. And so we can only imitate people, but they're, if you're the best version of yourself, then right. you have that opportunity to continue to innovate, to continue to impact, and to continue to help other people. Yeah. And I think that begins with, you know, for me, again, taking it back to the spiritual side of things and really the philosophical side of things. And I think if you let it, your work can lead you there. But it's asking yourself, as we ask, you know, uh, what is it that only you can do? I think the starting point with that question is, okay, uh, who am I? And, and how do we define success? Who's, who do I belong to? What is the measure of success? We have a cultural understanding of success, but is it bigger than that? Is there a better version of success? And what does that look like? And I think, you know, coming to grips with those are, those are the questions that I'll ask you, who is God? What does he require of me? Who am I in light of who God is? If there is a God, what is he asking me to do? What, how, you know, how would my life be affected? I think all of those things are things that you have to kind of wrestle with if you really want to do this well, I think you you can't really disconnect it from some of those deeper questions, at least if you're going to go, I think, to the, to the level of depth to do it honestly. Mm -hmm. Well, you talked about your personal personal mission statement. You talked about your car, core values. Is that part of this journey of self-awareness for you where you've really tried to yeah. identify? What are some of those steps that you've taken uh, and, and some recommendations that you would make to the audience so they can start this journey for themselves? Oh, that's great. Yeah, you know, I have. I, I have taken some steps to do that. I think the first and, you know, the most free step is just to ask uh, some of the people that are closest to you. I, I'll say this. If you're a leader, it's up to you to lead with vulnerability. Mm. You cannot expect your team or your people to be vulnerable if you won't go first. It starts with you. And I have to tell you, stepping in for my dad, all right, 30 years of pastoring at our church and was a legend uh, and is a legend to many, 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 many church on the movers. And how do you step into that? How do you deal with that? I can tell you one of the most endearing qualities and I, I that I have had stepping into this role that has made it work is my level of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Being willing to be honest and be honest publicly and talk about my own struggle. You'd be I mean, it's amazing how many people when they compliment me, that's what they say. I just appreciate that you're real. I appreciate that you're honest. And I, I, I could tell you this, I've I've never, you know, met anybody who would say, you know, I love my boss. He is so defensive and so <laughs> he just, he never admits when he's wrong and he's not vulnerable at all. And I love that about him because he's strong. Mm. 
You know, like no one ever says that. Whenever we lead with weakness, it's amazing how much we people respond. And when I say weakness, I'm just talking about saying, you know, I'm not good at this or I blew it over here. It's just being honest and vulnerable rather than blame shifting or trying to, here's another one, having all the answers. That's mm. a that's a problem. I think one of the worst things that a leader can do is have all the answers. I think your, one of your best things that you could say is, I don't know, but we're going to figure that out. But that's that's a level of vulnerability. So I think the, the starting point is to say, uh, I'm going to go first. I'm going to just, I'm going to be vulnerable. And if you can't do that or you find that really difficult to do, that's a great question to ask yourself. Why? What is it that doesn't, you know, about me that I don't want to do that? And start looking internally. Uh, another thing that I've done that I think is really useful, and it won't be for everybody because, uh, I don't know, cost, it might just be cost prohibitive. But one of the things that I did recently was something called a life plan. Mm. And you can... Uh, you can Google that. I think if you look at, I think it's the Patterson Center. Um, you can Google search for them. There's a guy named Tom Patterson. He's like 93, still living in Fort Collins, Colorado. A brilliant <laughs> man, worked for NASA, uh, holds the patent on the ATM pin technology, worked for Disney. Uh, this man was brilliant, worked for Reagan. Uh, really, really, really smart guy and has just a very systematic brain and understanding how to create systems that produce particular results. And uh, one of the, the things that he created or systems that he created is something called the life plan. He has a book about this. Uh, I have it here in my, uh, somewhere in my office. I'd have to look for it in a minute, but you could just Google Tom Patterson life plan and you'll, you'll mm -hmm. find the book. But in the book, if you can't afford the life plan itself, the book is a great place to start. And it, it's, it's, meant to kind of help you identify your purpose, who you are, you walk through your past and you're going to end up, you know, for me, I have, um, uh, you know, a personal mission statement for myself. I have my own core values, uh, some strengths and weaknesses. I, I couldn't, you know, probably pop them all off the top of my head. I could tell you a few of them. One of them has been absolutely essential for me is understanding my strengths. One of them is directional leadership and what that means for me uh, in my work means that when I start to get out of the kind of big directional uh, leadership seat and start getting into the specifics of how we work at the church, mm -hmm. uh, I notice that people uh, and systems get worse. <laughs> my job is directional. We head in this direction. This is what we need to stay focused on directionally. But as we get specific, I'm not so good there. So I did this life plan. It's a two-day deal. You can find a facilitator. I want to say you can get it done for about $3,000, $3,500. I've done one. My wife has done one. I got to tell you some of the most, I'll say this. If you're, if you're looking for, if you're looking for uh, empathy, uh, one of the greatest things you can do in your marriage is to do a life plan with, uh, let your spouse do a life plan. It, it, Man, it was hugely beneficial for me. My wife was the first one to do it. And for me to see who she is really, what motivates her and drives her and have a facilitator kind of pulling that out of her. It's just like some of the things that I've been frustrated with her about in the past, I realize are part of her street set and who she is. And mm -hmm. I try to minimize it rather than celebrate it. And gosh, that's changed a lot of things in my marriage. Oh, wow. Then. Yeah, massive. So that's that. Those are a couple of tools that I think are really beneficial. I love that, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check that out. I, I encourage awesome. people to. Do that. I did a thing called a Berkman, which talks about some of those things, but uh, I, I really want to kind of hone into that 
that mission statement and those core yeah. values for yourself? Because I think yeah. that's something we we obviously think about doing as a business, but we never think about doing right. that for our, ourselves because we're leading ourselves just as much as we're leading other people. And then yeah. to the extent of the same thing for your family. I think especially right. when you're at home with kids, you are the leader of the home. Uh, you have a big say in, in that. And you also emulate those things. I love how you talked about uh, when 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 you're describing a leader, you're saying, well, he has no weaknesses and, and yeah. he's always right. The thing what happens with that is you begin modeling and you begin right. showing them that you have to have on the all the answers, even if wow. you don't. And wow. when you do that, then you're training your team to basically make bigger and bigger mistakes wow. because they're yep. never going to admit anything. And that's that will trickle down to your family, too. I, I've had to make yeah. it a point in my family to admit when I'm wrong even when it absolutely just drives me nuts because it, I'm one of those guys, I feel like it doesn't happen often. And, but at the same time, I need to say, I'm sorry. I need to admit that I've made a mistake because when I do, that's going to teach my kids. It's yeah. okay to be vulnerable and, okay. and not saying that my dad didn't emulate that for me. It's just, I put a priority on the, some of the the people that I looked up to. Um, you know, I, I, I would have said probably five, 10 years ago that Steve Jobs was somebody that I would aspire to be. Yeah, but right. as I've learned about who he right. is as a person, I'm like, right. good God, I, I I dodged a bullet on that one. But what he projected, like just driving people and and, and belligerating them, but he right. got the results. And I thought that was the most important thing. Wow. And if, if I look back at it now, I want to look back and say to my kids, you know, it's it's okay to say that you're sorry. It's okay to make mistakes. And in fact, it's okay to fail. If right. anything, I want you to fail a lot. Yeah, that's because right. that's going to teach you way more than than having success all the way through. And so when we're looking at those core uh, core values for our family, that needs to be included in it. And for me, we've done this a little bit, not to the extent that I'd like to. But when my kids are doing something that they know is wrong, I can point back to that and say, is that kind? Are, are, are we are we wow. being knowledgeable? These are values that we've all established as a family. That's what it means to be a new Ataki, is you're going to be useful. Why do we exist? We give glory to God. Mm -hmm. uh, we're encouragers. We do things right. with excellence. Uh, we're kind. All these different things are adjectives that we've, we've basically taken our last name and kind of pointed to. Love it. And so it helps you when you're teaching them. So hopefully when they get to that point where they're leaders in their homes and their leaders, and whether it be school or, or work or wherever else, they have a basis for that. And so I love that we're talking about that because that gives us so many tools that we already have at our disposal that we now start applying to our personal and our family lives. Absolutely. Love that. That's exactly right. We're talking so much about all these different uh leadership things. We're talking about self-awareness. Um, what are some of the benefits that you've seen doing this? I know this, if the role that you're in now, what has been the benefit of that? Because it sounds like that's like a coping mechanisms for you to, to hide and run away from, right. but now you're leading with that. So what, what difference has you seen that? Have you seen that make in your leadership? Yeah. Well, first I'm going to start with leadership in the home and that it's made the biggest difference with my wife and my kids. Mm-hmm. That's the starting point for me is right there because that's my first leadership responsibility. If you're a dad or if you're a husband, it begins there. And so uh, your leadership starts in the home. For me, that's made the biggest difference. If I could do anything over again, it would be all of that. And the way that I treated my wife and my kids early on, it wasn't with vulnerability or empathy, but it was thinking that strength was the way. And um, so learning that has made a, a, a huge difference there. I think 
you know, for me, Evan, and, and at the church, I think really the biggest impact that it's had for me is buy-in from a staff. You know, we have about a staff of 300 people. Mm. Um, I have a dad who was highly successful, built a lot, raised a lot of money, did a lot of great things. Not done yet, but just in the role that he was in. Yeah. Uh, when you think about stepping into that, I just don't think that you step into that acting like you're the man. <laughs> uh, I think what people want from you is two things. I think they want confidence and humility. Mm-hmm. And I think that both of those things can go together. I think that you can be a confident and yet humble leader. And so I don't think that confidence is having all the answers. I think it's having... Um, I think confidence is being certain of the ending and the outcome and the direction, but not necessarily certain of exactly how yeah. and being open-handed enough to change course when, you know, is necessary. And so for me, I think the most, probably, probably the best thing that's come out of that is the relationships that have developed. You know, you're talking about relationally. What I want as much as anything and my leadership is I want to love the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, when you think about how much time you spend at work, you know, I mean, I'd like to like these people. I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to enjoy being around them because you're going to spend a huge chunk of your time with them. And so, you know, it's not just about results for me, but it's about building the relationship, um, you know, that I have with the people. And I think, I think confidence, but I think also humility, vulnerability opens up that door for, for, for this to be more than just a business more than just a bottom line. I know it's a little different church and business, you know, I mean, you know, businesses are certainly bottom line driven uh, and church is a little different in that regard. But I still think that's one of the wonderful things that, especially as a Christian leader, you have the opportunity to bring into your business is, is that there is more to life than success or the world's definition of success and money and status and acclaim and power, but there is relationship and love and self-sacrifice and humility. And um, honestly, you know, it's funny, the things that we want to be remembered for often are the things that we spend the least time uh, (laughs) working on. What we hope people will say about us at our funeral are the things that we spend very little time, honestly, investing in. And the things that really, you know, I mean, when we get up at a funeral, nobody's saying, well, you know what? I mean, he built a... uh, you know, a business of this amount of people and this amount of income. Uh, we rarely talk about those things at a funeral. What we really, what people remember and what we admire is generosity, humility, um, you know, those types of things. And we got to put time into those. Well, and, and the funny thing about this, and I think about uh, the book that uh, Lee Cockerell wrote, which is Creating Magic, where he yeah. talked about ours, uh, appreciation, recognition, and encouragement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about things we want to be remembered for, it costs nothing to appreciate somebody. It costs nothing to encourage somebody. Yeah. Uh, it, right. It, 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 th- those are free things that you can do every day. Generosity, you can be generous with your time. And that can right. be something that you can do. So uh, when, when, when people think about some of these things that they want to aspire to be, but you can start with little things and, and work your way up. Yeah, I'd love to give a million dollars to somebody. I'd love to be able to bless right. an organization. I'd love to be able to, to help certain people. But I can give them $5. 
I can give them 10. Right. I can, I can, I can right. contribute towards different. I can be generous in those things. And right. I think that when you make those a priority and you've, you've done that inventory of, of your strengths and the things that you want to aspire towards, I think it's really powerful, powerful to think about like when, when we're talking about Evan, when you're, when you're getting that feedback from uh, your team, from your family, from everybody else, what are they saying? Okay. I don't like what they're saying right now and I need to be okay with being able to listen to that. I think that's a great step forward. But the thing is saying, all right, what do I want to be remembered for? And what, how do I want to, what kind of leader do I want to be? And then how do I start walking down that path? Because the beautiful thing about it is you can start taking that step today and work towards that today. People aren't going to say you're generous right off the bat. They're not going to say that you're humble or you're empathetic right off the bat. But you'll start to recognize those opportunities as they come up because you're going to be actively seeking them out and searching for them that you're going to say, okay, now's a time where, you know what, I wouldn't have normally gone to that funeral because it's somebody's father and I don't really know them. Mm -hmm. But but I'm going to go to that funeral because I want to be there for them or Mm -hmm. I'm going to send them a card. I'm going to I'm going to go spend time with them and uh, I'm going to put my phone down and I'm actually going to give them 100 percent of my attention. Right. I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to ask them about things that I know that they're passionate about. And instead of me trying to talk about all the things that I'm great at, that's so good. I'm going to listen to them. And, and it's those little things, but that's what creates the kind of leader that we want to be. And it's, you have to work on it. You can't go on autopilot right. your entire life because yes, you start you start being intentional in the beginning, right? You start right. responding certain ways and some of it is your past. But I think some of us forget that autopilot's kicking in and we never turn it off. Mm. And so we get all the way down to the very end and asking those questions. Why did we, why did I respond that way? And you have to go back all the way to the beginning and you're like, well, I I responded that way because I was in middle school. Right. Is that what, is that what I'm going to be moving forward? Is that what I'm going to be for the rest of my life? No, let's take an, let's take an inventory of that and, and, and figure out how we can be the kind of leader that we want to be. You know, this is what I'm learning, Evan, is that the your coping mechanisms that, you know, I, we talked about earlier, those coping mechanisms, and you mentioned middle school, they began for us when we were children. Yeah. That's how they started. And they're meant to, they're, they actually serve as a protection for kids to deal with the difficulties that they, that they face in life. Uh, I'll give you a, a really interesting story. It's kind of gross, but it, it serves to tell the, to, to serves the purpose here. Uh, but my, my counselor was telling me this. He said uh, a teacher of his or a professor of his told him about a case that he worked uh, years ago about a little boy who one of his problems, he was, he was smearing his own feces all over his body. <laughs> it went even further than that, but I won't go any further to, to kind of keep people from being grossed out by it. <laughs> That's gross enough. Uh, he, and, and so they're trying to figure out, okay, what's causing this or why is this? And he said the, 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 the child's mind, he said, is brilliant when they're learning to cope with things. And here's what, what was going on. He was living in a home where he's being abused, I believe, by other children or kids that were older than him. They were abusing him uh, physically, maybe verbally, emotionally, whatever. And he figured out that if he did this, they would leave him alone. Ah. Uh-huh. It was a coping mechanism. Now you look at that and you go, you shouldn't do that. But for him, it was the only way he could keep from being hurt again. Yeah. And that's an extreme example. But the point is, 
that we all have, we, you know, my blaming others or, or, or your sarcasm, my sarcasm, those are protective measures that we take to deflect. That's what I'm doing when I'm blaming other people, uh, fault finding. These are all deflection. You can all see this. It's like, well, stop looking at me and look at them. And it's yeah. driven by embarrassment. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be humiliated. And um, when you start to kind of look at what's driving those coping mechanisms, they began when you were a kid, but you're still using them as an adult. It was okay when you were a kid because you didn't know any other way to deal with it. Mm. But now I'm an adult and it doesn't work anymore. And yet we're still doing the same things. Yeah. And so that's why we got to kind of go back. And one of the things that we do in you know, the counseling session that I'm a part of is to, is to ask, where did this begin? And to kind of talk about that and kind of explore, okay, so I'm kind of using my sixth grade mind still <laughs> today and, and, and learning to, so, you know, you, you, it does require a level of intentionality. In my life plan, I did, um, I, I think, four or five core values. My last core value was what we just called an aspirational value, meaning I am not good at it today. And it was listening. Uh, I aspire to be a better listener because I like to talk and, uh, you know, so just learning to kind of be quiet and, you know, not listening with the intent of figuring out what I'm going to say next, but just really hearing you and being mm -hmm. present and listening to you. And I got to tell you, I'm still terrible at this, but <laughs> I know it's like, okay, I got to work at that, you know, and yeah. it's not going to happen without intentionality. Absolutely. Well, when we're talking about the the coping and, and deflecting, I think that's because we don't know who we are at that point. But right. Yes. We become adults as we become leaders and we know who we are. Um, and we go to the spiritual level. We know who our father is. We know we know who right. we are in Christ. Those right. things don't hurt us anymore. We don't have to right. put up those defenses anymore because you can say that I'm not a good leader. You can say that I'm uh, not a good person or whatever else. But deep down inside, I know that I've spent the time investing in that. And that stuff bounces right off at me. And I don't have to tear somebody else down then to make myself right. feel better or defend myself. And right. and. And I think that when we when when we can really tune into those things again, that's where we talk about peace. Yeah, I think, I think, there, I think peace is something that we we think about or as a as an aspirational thing or as a symbol of something, but we attribute it to war, we attribute it to conflict. Mm. I think that inner peace is something that we're all striving for, especially as leaders. That's, I mean, we're always trying to escape responsibility wow. to find that peace. But I would venture to say that when you know who you are and you, you've you done that analysis and, and are aware of who you are, that that's where some true peace comes into play to where it doesn't matter the, the circumstances around you. You have that peace to navigate through that adversity, through that challenge, through that day and be able to right. have all of those different things become um experiences for you to lean on uh in, in some cases uh, some cases a foundation for you to stand on top of uh and say i've i've been able to accomplish these things i've been able to uh do these things because i know who i am and and these right. things were an opportunity to tear me down but uh, but i didn't allow that to happen uh, i was able to stay true to what my strengths are and I was able to navigate this. And that's the reason that you're in that position. That's why you're that leader is because of the way that you handle things, not necessarily the things that you know, but the way that you're going to be able to go through that situation and bring others with you. Yep. Yeah. I, I think, Evan, it is, you know, you mentioned the spiritual side of that, which I think is so 
key in this because for me, you know, your career can't die to forgive you if you should fail. Um, you're, you're, you know, all the things that you've built over your lifetime, if they should not happen to work out, it won't be, it won't be there to say, that's okay. I still accept you just as you are. Uh, that's where, for me, my faith is so critical in having a rock solid identity because my faith is the one thing that can't be taken away from me no matter what I do. And that's the beauty of Christianity, which is, I think, you know, fundamentally different from every other religion, is that Christianity is not really about what you do, but it's about what has been done. And these yeah. are the fundamental differences. And when, it, when, when I know that I am loved and accepted because Christ died for me, not because I earned it, not because I put the work in, not because I, I really developed myself, but just because God is good. He died for me and he accepted me. Then that allows me, my motivation for change is completely different. Rather than trying to prove anything to anybody or become some idealized version of myself because that's who I really want to be, I'm doing it out of, out of admiration and joy for the one who has loved me first. It's, it's a totally different kind of vantage point. And, there, and, and it doesn't mean that I, you know, there aren't days. like I mean, yesterday was a day for me where you know, there's a lot of questioning and a lot of just asking myself, do I have what it takes? But ultimately what I have to do is stop and say, okay, uh, even though I'm questioning some things today, uh, even though this is a hard day, even though I'm not seeing the results that I would like to see uh, from, you know, I'll just say in my business, quote unquote, um, <laughs> uh, even though things aren't happening at the rate that I would like, I'm going to rest knowing that my identity is not tied to what I do. And so whether I'm successful or I'm unsuccessful, is not the measure of who I am. And that I think is, I think that's what makes Christianity unique and what allows us to have a, a, a real self-awareness and vulnerability because I'm not defined by, you know, what I do or my success, but rather by uh, who loves me mm -hmm. and whose family I'm a part of that, that changes everything. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think we're tying into grace. I think that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's where <laughs> so we are. I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm going through real Jesus. So I'm like, I'm like I, I think I know where we're going here, but yeah, good. that, that grace right there is just, it, it's, it, it brings freedom. Yes. And I think, I think freedom and peace. I mean, we think about that with the United States, but I mean, personal freedom, personal peace, yes. having those things and knowing who we are and what's All been right. done for us. I mean, everything that you're talking about right there, I, I, man, I feel like it becomes more valuable to you as you progress in, in, in age, as you, as you get a little bit older, as, especially yeah. kids, especially as you become a leader, because up until that point, like everything's kind of provided for everything's okay. You, you kind of feel yeah. invincible, like anything can happen. And it, but then when you realize like, I got to pay the bills, I got to take care of these people. Okay. I got to feed these people. Right. And, and there's just stress starts coming and, and responsibility starts coming. And, and there's deadlines that you got to hit and all these different things. And, and that's when people just start to hate their job and they, they start to uh, just resent some of the roles that they're in. And I'm, yeah. and, and what I want to say is that when you can get into those roles and you can have that peace and you can have that freedom to know that no matter what the outcome, you can't take my faith away from me. You can't take my memories away from me. You can't, you yeah. can't strip me of who I am. Right. That's where that peace comes. And that's, man, that's a great place to start. 
and, and to aspire to. I, I think of um, a, a guy that I talked to. He'd, he'd been a director of a camp for, man, I want to say 60 years. It's a long time. It's probably wow. about 40. But the crazy thing was when I talked to him, and I was almost moved to tears by it. Um, and it was I, the same response I had when I talked to Alan Trimble was just the peace that was on that person. Mm. They, they, they had run their race. Uh, they weren't done by any means, but they had done what they had, had done and they didn't look back at it with any bitter, bitterness. They didn't look back at it with any resentment or regret. Wow. They had done exactly what they were in that role to do. And the amount of peace impacted me so much that I was just like, that's what success is. That's what I'm trying to, that, that, that's what I'm, I, I need to be aspiring towards because when I can see a person like that, who maybe doesn't have the, the your income anymore, who maybe doesn't have the amount in the bank or, or anything else, but you see the peace on them and you see the influence that they have when they speak uh, and the confidence that they have when they speak. That's to me, like if I were to define success, I would point to people like that and say, that's what I'm trying to get towards. It's, it's so easy to get caught up in that race, that rat race of trying to, you know, consume, 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 and have everything, and just and and get to yeah. that level. And when you really strip it down, is that really what you want? And I think yeah. you find out what you really want and what you were created to be. Mm-hmm. And with that, that peace and freedom can come way sooner than sixty. It can it come way sooner than when you're on your deathbed and people are, are are talking about you. That can be right now. That can be this very moment for you. And I want to encourage you. Uh, listen back to this and 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 try to pick up some of these clues that we're talking about here, because I don't have it figured out. And Wit, I'd venture to say you don't have it figured out yet. Nope. completely. But these are some of the things that we're learning on our journey. We want to share them with the audience, because if we can do that, imagine how much further uh, you can progress in your career, in your leadership, and just as a person, how much more influence can you have uh, if you're able to embrace empathy and vulnerability right now? Because I'm a living testament to it, you're a living testament to it, that it can absolutely revolutionize your family, your relationships, and your business if you're willing to embrace it and not have to be the end-all be-all to anything and teach and model other people around you that these are core values that we can work towards, so much more will happen. Your customers will appreciate it. Your team will appreciate it. Your family will appreciate it. Mm -hmm. It all ties together. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's perfect. (laughs) I I just blacked out there. Sorry about that. Hey, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. I, I, I appreciate you taking this time to kind of dive into this, some of this and be vulnerable. I know that that's not easy for you uh, to, to talk about some of these things, especially uh, through the, the journey that you've gone on. But I always give my guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience, uh, to kind of look back and say, you know, if I was speaking to a, a younger version of myself, what would be the message to them? Oh, man. You know, I think what I'd say, Evan, is just that your leadership is a stewardship not an ownership. Uh, I think all levels of leadership are stewardship. Um, Because I, you know, again, come from a perspective of faith, and I believe that everything is given to us, is given to us by God, um, then that inherently means that there is a stewardship aspect involved with it. In other words, I give an account for this one day. I'll stand accountable and, and, and find out you know, what I did with my life. And I think when you lead, um, 
and serve from that perspective, it, it, it changes everything. It really stops being about you trying to live your best life. Because essentially when you do that, that puts you at the center. Mm -hmm. I become the center of my life and I'm trying to organize my business and my family and um, everything around me to benefit me and to bring me the satisfaction, the joy, the happiness, whatever that I'm looking for. I don't think life was me was meant to be uh, lived that way. I don't think we were meant to be the center of our lives. Mm -hmm. I think we were meant to orbit around someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think when you realize that your life, your gifts, you know, we like to, we, we, we live in such an independent culture and society that loves and I mean, we have such value for or esteem for the self-made man, the self-made woman. But you know, I would challenge us to just really ask ourselves, how self-made are we? And we, we might say, well, we worked really hard or I did really well in school or whatever. I'd say, well, who gave you your, your IQ? Mm. Who, who, how, how were you born into the family that you were born into? How did you, did you decide what country you would be born into? Uh, did you decide that you would not be born with a disability? Um, there's a million things that I could offer as choices that we did not make that yeah. were made on our behalf that are the result of why we are where we are. So when you start to realize, wow, I don't own any of this. I'm a steward of what's been given to me. Then it, it fundamentally changes the way that you live and lead. And, um, you start looking for how you can use it for others and for the one who gave it to you in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it just creates, I, I'll tell you what it does, Evan, is it creates an open handedness because you realize I didn't create this for myself. I didn't give this to myself. It came to me from someplace else. It came to me from God. And if it should go, I know that I'm going to be okay because I didn't earn it all in the first place. Mm -hmm. I think one of the worst places you can live is you know living with the mentality that you've earned it. Mm. Uh, when you've earned it, you really have a hard time extending grace to other people because when you've done something to deserve it, you can you of course you can be done. If you would do what I'd do, maybe you'd be where I am. Yeah. Rather than realizing that what I have has been given to me, and therefore I can be generous. Therefore I can be vulnerable. Therefore I can have humility. And so I think when you realize that your leadership is a stewardship not an ownership. It can fundamentally change the way that you live your life. And uh, I think you become the kind of person that ultimately you really want to be in the end. And I can promise you, it's the person that the people who work under you want you to be. And the family that you live with is who they want you to be too. <laughs> well, hopefully the the listeners walk away challenged with this because I think we're, we're, we're definitely challenging a lot of preconceived notions that I had uh, as a kid, as growing up as a leader. And, and, and I, I'm continually reminding myself now at this point, the, the value of these things that we're talking about um, that earned, I earned it mentality is so, so dangerous. Uh, yes. and, and it's one of those things that I, I feel like is almost selfishly intrinsic that we want to have that. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, it's one of the most dangerous things that we can do. So hopefully this, we leave people, you know, scratching their heads a little bit and say, okay, what was my motivation for this? What, what, why, why am I doing the things that, that I'm doing here? 
and and start looking at that stewardship. Start looking at the the things that we can't control and embracing those. And 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 again, that goes back to that that peace in those decisions and everything else, where you're you're able to make those decisions and you're able to t- almost take yourself out of it. And it help and it helps you in 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 life. It helps you in your family. It helps you in in work to really uh, to really embrace kind of who you are and, and kind of where you fit into all this and then dialing further into your purpose to like what what the characteristics and the gifts and the traits that you have, how you can implement those to help other people. Wit, I want to I want to wrap this up and say thank you to you for uh, taking the time to speak directly to my audience to, to to be on this for me. This is a this is a is an honor for me to have you on here. Like I said, I, I've uh, I've kind of followed you all the way through a lot of the journey that you've had, and I've seen uh, the decisions that you make. I've seen the uh, the the way that you've uh, approached things and implemented things, and just some of the the tasks that you've been able to uh, navigate through your leadership journey, and then to kind of realize and go through the vulnerability uh, side of it into the role that you're in today. I'm blown away uh, by uh, where you've started from and where you've come today. And, and I'm inspired, if anything else, to see some of the things that uh, Church on the Move has done, that your father's done. I mean, your whole family has played a, a huge role uh, in in my life and in my family's life. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, and, and I want to encourage you because I know that when you're in the leadership role, you don't always hear good. You, you only, you always, you yeah, always hear kind of right? some of the other stuff. And I know just, uh, just some of the things that you're working towards right now, uh, some of that vision that you're casting, that direction that you're pointing out there, uh, it, it's big stuff. It, it's, it's not something that like, you know, we could slow play this and we could, we could kind of roll through it and be okay. No, you're, you're pointing it over at that next mountain over there saying, we're going to climb that and we're not just going to climb it. We're going to, we're going to conquer it and we're going to go to the next one. And I want to encourage you because, you know, I, I, I've been in situations where, you know, I, I've been in that role and I just, I feel alone. I feel, right. I feel like I don't have, um, I, I don't, I start to question some of the things that I have. And I, I just want you to know just from the bottom of my heart, I believe in you. Uh, I'm, I'm honored that you're my pastor. Uh, I'm honored that you're in the role that you, that you have. And, and the things that you're talking about, the things that uh, you're communicating uh, through the, the church and, 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 and the organizations that you're partnering with and, and everything else, uh, I'm proud to say that you're my pastor. I'm proud to say that Church on the Move is my home church, and I'm excited about the direction that things are going right now. So thank you so much for being uh, part of this. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.